Graham Goodwin, it's time to play What? The Week in Sports Cars on this little podcast brought to us by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. I think last week we got into questions a little over one minute into the show. Curious if you think we can go even faster this lovely week. Yes, we can. We can do it quickly. We can do it very quickly. No, no, but let's uh, let's say hello first. It's nice to be home, I'll be honest with you. I, I do like a road trip, and Austria is a beautiful country, but it's nice to be home with the lady and the husky. Um, and, uh, yeah, but let's get stuck in, because I know we've got, again, a reasonably tight show uh, this week, and lots and lots of lovely listener questions once again, MP. So, um, have we already said thanks to Cooper Tires and to Toronto Motorsports.com and Justice Brothers, because if not, I've just done it. We did, but hey, twice in the same opening, and now we're over a minute. All right, well, we blew that. Okay, we tried. Should we just stop? Should we uh, Should we walk away and hang our heads, or should we keep going once you choose the category? We're going to choose, and uh, once again, we're going to start with IMSA, as we did last week. It's been an IMSA weekend at uh, Mid-Ohio. Obviously, we had ELMS as well, but uh, I think uh, plenty coming out of that weekend, MP. And we're going to get straight into it with announcement made just yesterday. Mark Urban says, hey, gents, love listening to the pod every week. Thank you very much, Mark. Um, IMSA's Raw Rolex 24 will once again be back-to-back weekends in 2022 do you feel this will be the norm from now on quite well received by all of us working events this year then daniel summersgill also says uh, it's been announced that they'll be on successive them do you think the raw will be a qualifying race or qualifying hashtag me personally yes this year's raw did nothing for daniel it's a procession rather cars going full bean uh, beans to get the grid so number one this could be the norm from now on. Number two, do you think they'll look again at what was, I think, quite a controversial decision to run a qualifying race MP? More discussion of beans on the show. Good Lord. Uh, I think what we saw in January with the back-to-back weekends, this format of trying to add some spiciness, uh, I think we're going to see that model replicated identically next January. Uh, they seem to like it. They seem to think that it brought something that was lacking. I don't know if I ever held my expectations that high, Graham, for the roar to be some sort of lights, camera, action, sexy, gotta tune in, oh my goodness. I, I'm old enough to remember. It was just a dumb test. <laughs> Hi, what what are we doing here? Well, we're going to go around the track a bunch of times, try and learn stuff so that when we come back and go racing, we're, we're good at the racing part. Like, really? That's what it was. A couple days. Go there. Test. Get better. Hopefully. Work out any kinks. Then go race. There's now been... F- the roar before the 24 has turned into a Zoom conference call. <laughs> right? It's no long. It was a phone call beforehand. You don't need to get your hair straight and, you know, groom and put on a nice shirt and look presentational for everybody. It's become a Zoom call where, again, you got to realize and got to think that a lot of eyes are on you and got to put on a little show for everyone. I get it. You want to maximize every time you're out on track. You want to draw attention to this, that, and the other. I get it. So, I understand the reasoning, 
just saying, uh, I think what we got is what we got, and it's going to stay what we got. Uh, it's That's always the hard part here, right, guys? We're going to try something new, and it didn't explode or backfire in its production and presentation. It's really hard to then wind those things back and say, oops, our bad, uh, we're never going to do that again. If it had flamed out, maybe. It didn't. I realize it wasn't necessarily liked by a bunch of folks, hardcore followers of sports car racing, but nonetheless, it's really hard to uh, put the proverbial toothpaste back in the tube here. So barring some big surprise, I think we got what we got. Fair dues. Uh, there's actually a follow-up question. It's a little further down our list. It comes from our friends at Travel Destinations. They're asking, with the anniversary coming up of the uh, Relics 24, 60th anniversary, is it not? Um, yeah. Wouldn't, what would you like to see as part of the kind of warm-up celebrations, commemorations, whether or not that's a display in the, in the infield, whether or not it's on track? Anything you particularly like to see? I don't know if the budget is available but i can tell you one thing that the indianapolis motor speedway does an excellent job of each year knowing the indy 500 is its biggest thing they invest money make time do a lot of planning and coordinating with its legends heroes favorite drivers from back in the day and fly them out and have them there and have Mm -hmm autograph sessions and a a wide variety of really awesome paying tribute to history type things. We know that thanks to Tim Pendergast and some delightful folks on top of the vintage racing scene, there's always a display of amazing machinery, not all of which competed at the Rolex 24, but great sports car vintage vehicular presence there the legendary drivers slash team owners or whomever a little more hit and miss right if well hurley haywood celebrated every year right for something so we we know hurley's going to be there we know Derek bell will probably be there there'll be a few staples but what i'd love to see is a little bit of money spent a little bit of a, a bigger production aspect brought to the fans since hopefully we'll have full fans back next year on the 60th anniversary of hey look the 20 whatever greatest imsa uh, or related drivers some sort of something where you go cool it's not just cars it's not just one or two folks who are we love and are accustomed to seeing but let's truly make an effort to bring some of imsa's great drivers back and have them out on the stage here signing autographs over there, doing a bunch of stuff. Just that's the one layer that I would say IMSA and uh, uh, Daytona could learn from. It feels like they do a great job of that with NASCAR and being really connected to its past and a, a lot of its people being in and around frequently. But I would say this is the one area where, I don't know, Graham, if they were to do that, would you and I spend as much time as we should focusing on the race itself? Or would we be over speaking with 
name all the various drivers. Hey, Klaus Ludwig, uh, let's spend the next nine hours talking about everything. <laughs> oh, there's a race going on. Oh, that's cute. Whatever. When we're done with Klaus, we'll we'll think of Hanstuck is here. What are we doing? Oh my goodness. We're good. Anyways, um, I I don't know. Maybe that's the thing that they should do. It'd make me happy. I don't know if it'd it make would, anyone else happy. It would be a hell of a live twist, wouldn't it? Imagine that. Imagine that for a moment. But there you go. I think that's a cracking call. Absolutely great call. Right, let's get back to questions. Uh, Daniel Summers, Killer Kassan, uh, is any news on more teams and manufacturers committing to GTD Pro for next year? Hashtag me personally. Looks as though we're going to end up with the current GTLM field, but with different cars and with LMDH taking lots of pro drivers, will it make the class redundant before it starts? Hmm. I am a little bit late slash remiss. I don't know, whatever, however it should be phrased. Daniel, but uh, I am aware that last week in mid-Ohio, there were indeed uh, some meetings taking place on this very subject, and I still need to check in and find out how those went, or I'm not, well, if I'm told how they went, that's always the thing. (laughs) If they wanted these things to be known publicly, We'd be reading the press release from manufacturer A, B, and C saying, hi, we sat down and spoke about it. We're thinking about it. We just might. They haven't done that. But aware that some meetings took place, just need to get caught up on that. It's a little bit, been a little bit of a busy week. There's some little thing where they go around in circles in Indiana. I've been uh, uh, focusing on heavily. So once I can check in here, I will uh, hopefully have a little bit of something to report back with either on the show or on the good old words, uh, making it to the interwebs. Excellent. Uh, Ewan, our mate SRA Smoking Puppy 841, says, Gifford IMSA have, for 2021, attempted to improve the showing qualifying. To prove this further, do they need to shorten the sessions? Hashtag me personally, 90 minutes of qualifying is unlikely to draw the attraction of the masses week after week. It's certainly longer than we have for more or less everything I cover on TV. So he actually wants less? Yes, apparently. Not more? No. I was thinking two hours and 40 minutes of qualifying. Qualifying races. <laughs> come on, come on. No, 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 no. Inverted no. grids. Don't go all on us. Don't go all, don't go all Stefan. Don't do that. Uh, uh, yeah. I hear you. I, look, I'm all about if you're going to do it, do single car qualifying. And I realize that you probably find a way to make that stretch out but i'm talking like no let's do this kind of rally style pull up to the 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 stage whatever you call it arch and every 10 seconds we let a car go and you get two laps one to warm up and one to post that official time and if you go off on the second lap well uh sorry sucker i look Let's make it a, a bit of a, a race chase qualifying thing. Go tear each other down, try and get past one another. Who knows? Have fun. Complain about, oh, I was blocked or <laughs> it was turbulent air, which screwed up my turn in it here. Like, look, make it a mess. That'd be fun. Because as we know, qualifying when it's messy and say it's raining or who knows, some sort of adverse scenario shuffling the grid making it so some of the favorites are buried and have to do extraordinary things to try and get by one another to move to the front 
those tend to be the best races. So I'm not saying that my format is a smart one or a good one, but I'm with you, Ewan. I really am. If we're going to do this, yeah, uh, hashtag me personally. I think we should knock a lot of time out of that as well. The whole pro-am, this one's going for position. This one's going for points. That's definitely going to add some time to the whole procedure. But, yeah, uh, maybe, truly, just two laps, cars leave 10 seconds apart, get on it, and maybe that's how we do things. So I don't know if we were to add up all the time uh, that would consume. I would think it would be less. So someone send that in. Someone send that to IMSA. Just don't tell them I said it because then I'll call saying, we already knew you were... (laughs) epically stupid and but you've found a reason to just cement the fact that there are depths to your dumb osity that we didn't know about so there you go um, i'd add this bit to the the MSO format i genuinely have found with this new format with the pole and points being kind of separate i've actually lost interest it i mean i i you know it's not you know, uh, uh, a kind of a uh, elective thing. I've it's actually just does not engage me in the way that it used to. That that's the effect it's had on me. Hashtag me personally uh, on this one. That's just my ten cents worth for for this conversation. Pressure, brother. <laughs> that's the thing. That's where it, one of two things. It's either fearsome displays of speed that yep. we as racing fans might congregate around to try and witness or drama. And so that's why my silly little rally style, everyone's taken off no, I or, or I guess off-road as well. Uh, they do that format too, but it's being said in jest. But the, the reasoning behind that, or I don't know what, something similar is just truly, how do you add pressure? The whole thing about qualifying is it's an individual performance, right? Great. Well, yep. if you stretch it out and you got forever to do it, I don't know if that builds drama. But if you truly are feeling like, geez, I got to get going. Well, you know, not every driver is equally talented at getting up to speed on cold tires. Here's let's yep. expose that in some. Let's. It's, it's a. It's, it's akin to the format we've had at the Nürburgring 24 Hours for uh, many years, and it's changed more recently. But uh, I, I quite like it, actually. It does add drama, and I do like the drama of qualifying. I'm not one of those ones that says it's a pointless endeavor in endurance racing. It's just that some formats work better than others. I have to tell you, I think the format we have for WC and LMS, it's too short a time. Uh, it sometimes produces real drama, but it just seems to be over before it's begun. And... You know, I think 15 minutes rather than 10 would suit me rather better, but it produces drama. Let's move on. Let's go on to Nikolai B, uh, who says, um, Mid-Ohio, number of entries seem just right at Mid-Ohio to produce a good race, but not enough to cause incidents. Why are organisers so focused on increasing the grids? I can answer that one. Uh, we've seen this at Le Mans since they expanded above 55 entries. Is it money? Great point here, Nikolai. I hadn't really thought of it in that uh, in that regard. Hmm. The reason why we had this smallish 26-car grid, I believe, was just IMSA's rotation of classes, wanting to make sure that uh, the costlier ones seemingly are not put on track too many times, 
each season. So they take a few classes away here, there, and it all balances out in the end. But to your point, yeah, it seemed to work out fairly well. Would also say, though, if DPI were at its peak, if it were super healthy and we had 10, 11, 12 of those, and if LMP3 was a little bit bigger, I don't know if it would have been as as just clean and error-free. So, yeah, one of the good things here is, at least on the DPI front, we really do have some supremely amazing drivers, Graham, right? Of those in the six entries, there are no weak drivers. There are no dummies. There's, you know, you can, it doesn't always work out perfectly, but you know, by and large, these are not folks who are going to be doing things to take themselves and others out of the race. So that part certainly helped. P3 was really happy with how, clean and smart they were collectively not everything was perfect of course but uh that looked pretty darn sharp gtd that offered you know some of the real drama a uh, very not happy timing for a yellow uh that made mazda not super happy but all that stuff aside (sighs) big grids speak to health and i think give the impression that a series is on the rise, everything is good, it's something to watch. Smaller grid, I know, was the complaint from a number of folks coming into the race. We touched on it a little bit last week. Heard from a few more who said, yeah, I passed. Just not enough there for me to really feel compelled to go. Or my favorite car in, uh, I guess we could just say Corvette racing wasn't there, so some people said, I'm not going. (laughs) Um (laughs) There's something to this, though. If you can have folks who, you know, play nicely, you don't necessarily need a giant grid to put on a great show. And, you know, we've seen this example before, for sure, in other racing series. But, yeah, I do like I like the thought here, and it does speak to if there's quality in entries, quality in driving, you can put on a great race. The Indy Lights championship graham for the last many couple years however many single digit right how hey we got 10 entries for this race like that's a reason to jump up and down this year we're at like 12 i think 12 to 13 uh but on one side you get folks who don't really watch it moaning about jeez can you really give any credit to any champion that comes out of that series i mean there's only you know nine cars You know, I mean, how could you not win the championship? The reality, for those who actually watch instead of just opine and complain about it, is holy crap. (laughs) Uh, Pato Award, Colton Herta. Yes, they're not so bad. They've come out and done well. Renus VK, who just won last weekend, he's not so bad. Oliver Askew, I know his time didn't go so well in IndyCar, but his talent is no less amazing. You can say for sure, as long as the top two or three, hopefully more, but at least if you've got two or three really talented drivers, I don't know if you need a grid of a thousand because how often are we talking about, ah, the battle for 914th place was, oh, that's the whole reason for watching. No, up front, if you've got talent, even in a smaller grid, you're going to see something 
pretty darn interesting somewhere. Last weekend, we were very fortunate that uh, that was the case. So love the uh, observation, Nikolai. Uh, let's move on to LMDH. Uh, got a couple of questions here. First from Chris Ward. Uh, and thank you for your good wishes, Chris, to both of us. Uh, with the announcement that Multimatic were providing the LMDH chassis for Porsche, Audi, and any other VAG marks, will we see the other three LMP2, LMDH chassis manufacturers sign exclusivity deals with other companies, or will they take a hashtag wait-and-see mercenary-style approach? Um, Grigor Petrovich also says, several weeks ago, he heard that Lamborghini could join Audi and, per, uh, and Porsche and Multimatic. I think he probably heard that from UMB, uh, if they announced such a program. But yesterday, Grigor said he said it could be Delara. What's your take on that? What's the rumour about Bentley? And also, yesterday, Lamborghini announced their plans for hybrids and EVs. Could we end up in a scenario where hybrid sports car a Le Mans Daytona Husky Hybrid hypercar and electric sports car, electric GT, will make a debut parallel to their road division plans. Lambo's LMDH in 23, electric GT in 24. He says, what say you? What's what's occurring? What can we tell them? Occurring? Is that a little kinetic? Cursing. 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 Let's see. I always struggle in trying to respond to i heard a rumor somewhere else or heard someone else say because i don't know what you heard where you heard it from who said it so i'm not really big on speaking on others i can only go with what i write and what we speak about here uh gregor so i would say if you haven't maybe read what i've written on racer.com or what graham's written on daily sports car or our show here and i'm not saying everything we write is accurate we do our best to make it a hundred percent, but sometimes uh, our information proves to be wrong if a decision is taken in a, another direction or otherwise. But uh, I think we've been pretty clear in who's building what, who's doing what, and so on, Graham. So just say, Gregor, you know, um, I don't view this stuff as a competition. If there are other folks saying things that you want to take as truth or bring uh, cause you to question. Uh, what Graham has said or written or I've said or written, totally up to you and support that brother. But doing the, could you clarify what I've heard elsewhere uh, thing? Like, eh, um, that's usually not something I try and dive into too heavily. Uh, let's see. The, where should we go here? Uh, the electric and all that kind of stuff, Graham, and for Lambo yep. and whatnot. Is that anything you have uh, uh, I, I, on? I, that, that- I think my my understanding uh, where Lamborghini, Lamborghini most certainly are uh, part of the VAG Multimatic loving, um, and you asked about Bentley. We'll move to that in just a moment or two. But um, my understanding at the moment is they are targeting not 2023 but 2024. Um, I strongly suggest that that is going to be effectively a rebodied. Um, Porsche slash Audi uh, effort. It's possible Lamborghini may go with something a bit more bespoke on the on the powertrain front, but what little we know about their plans, that seems unlikely. I think what you're going to see is probably the same basic car, but rebodied uh, for the three or four different marks from VAG with Multimatic. The exclusivity side, 
I think for, for Multimatic is slightly different to some of the other manufacturers, chassis manufacturers, and that MP is simply because of the numbers of cars we're talking about. We've already had Porsche confirm two in WEC, uh, two in IMSA. I'm expecting we're going to see a similar announcement from Audi. Um, I've got a story in the works about Bentley uh, in the next kind of 24 hours or so at the moment that opens up a bit more about that potential program. Um, again, with Lamborghini, that has an impact both on uh, the number of cars that can need to be produced and indeed the level of customer car interest there might be. Um, that realistically, I think, is going to be pretty all-consuming for Multimatic. It does beg question, by the way, uh, whether or not the exclusivity here is going to be about LMDH and uh, at the expense of an LMP2 program for uh, Multimatic. I'm personally not expecting to see much by way of uh, LMP2 chassis out of that uh, organization for some little time. As for the others... Um, I think it's fair to say that we are expecting that if and when there is a positive announcement from GM, that's likely to go uh, with their current chassis supplier, Dallara. There's no reason why it should be anything other. It is. Um, <laughs> we know. Where did that voice come from, Graham? It wasn't me. I don't know. It was disembodied. Uh, we know that Orica have spoken about up to four potential customers. We know that one of those is very likely, slash, it is. Uh, going to be Acura. It is. Uh, another, though, <laughs> another of those at concept stage um, is very highly likely to be McLaren. They are. And there is <laughs> one of two uh, chassis manufacturers that most certainly are waiting from a, uh, a call from Bavaria uh, as to whether or not that one goes ahead. They are. Um, and, yeah, so there's all sorts of that. Ligier. Another story coming um, on DSC and Racer in the next, I guess, couple of days about what uh, they are up to. So the answer is, I don't think anybody is attempting to get exclusivity. Exclusivity, I think, will come um, if and when we get to the point where the scale of the program that comes their way for LMDH overwhelms capacity. And that's going to be determined by the size of the programs. We already know that Porsche and Audis are large. Um, the number of chassis that can be required to fulfill that program and the demand beyond that for any customer cars in the short and medium term, short term being year one, medium term being in year two, um, that might be required to fulfill the commercial ambitions of those programs. So there's all sorts of boxes to tick, but take a step away from it everybody is still competing for what they can get and the first throw of the dice for 2023 those pieces are beginning to come into full focus there's then going to be another splurge potentially for 2024 i don't believe graham that exclusivity is even an option uh I, i'm a, i'm making an assumption here but if we're talking about supply contracts right we have yep. and i'm talking about uh, ACO, FIA, IMSA, you name it, for the the approved LMP2 constructors uh, for whom LMDHs, baby LMDHs are made. Um, I don't believe there's any allowance for a name any one of the four, Liget, to say, nope, to heck with you. We're only going to work with this one. I mean, 
Yeah. Uh, again, I haven't seen the contracts, but there's just no feasible way where any of them would be allowed to pick one uh, at the exclusion of others, because how do you support a healthy and growing class if all four are capable of walling themselves off in limiting it to four manufacturers total? So I yep. can't imagine that would be allowed. Uh, see, and someone's calling in to uh, to make sure. Yeah, see, is that oh, is that Fion on the other end of the line? It- it said, saying, stop talking about that stuff now, yeah. is what he's saying. <laughs> uh, well, let me, let me put it this way. I'll just chuck this in there. In terms of stories that you and I are currently writing... Jeez, he will not be denied. Excuse me. Come on, Pierre. Come on, buddy. That was the lovely Trudy. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so, um, in terms of stories I'm currently writing, MP, I can tell you that all four chassis manufacturers have either confirmed or potential business on the table for hypercar. Uh, so that's LMDH and LMH together, or four of them have got confirmed business. The scope and scale of that business, I think, varies pretty dramatically, and some of it, and in fact, quite a lot of it, is still up in the air. Quite aside from the kind of the whispering voices that we keep hearing about the, the ones that we sort of think are penciled in, um, there are other matters still to be determined, uh, including, for instance, the actual identity of the fourth potential customer for Orica uh, beyond um, Acura, potentially McLaren, potentially BMW. There is a fourth. Uh, we don't know who that is. So there are other things actually out there, I think, in both hypercar land and uh, purely in LMDH, there is still excitement to come. Um, certainly some of the prospects that we've talked about have evaporated. Some of them have come into sharper focus. Some of them are deeper than we expected them to be. But it's still an exciting time, isn't it? Let's move forward. Um, Let's see. Why don't I, I can rattle off one or two quickly because I want to yeah, yeah. dive out of IMSA uh, pronto and uh, get to some WEC, ASM, ELMS, ACO, and whatever else you choose uh, Brett Ross says, MP, curious in your thoughts of having NASCAR Steve Latart on the NBCSN Mid-Ohio broadcast. Hashtag me personally have mixed feelings. I thought he added to the broadcast, but a little raw. Totally raw in that regard, Brett, uh, with Steve's experience as a championship-winning NASCAR crew chief and whatnot, uh, engineering type, certainly still learning about the finer aspects of sporty cars. I love myself some Steve Letarte. Had a chance to meet him once and always love when you get when I get to meet folks who I have appreciated from afar who've done similar things job title-wise as I've done, but at a much higher level and in a discipline that is largely uh, foreign to me. So I love Steve on NASCAR broadcasts. I don't watch many but when I do, I certainly love the ones when Steve is uh, is on. And so I just really enjoyed hearing what he had to say. It wasn't all super relevant to what was going on uh, in the race. But just, yeah, love that different perspective. And thankfully, we had enough expertise floating around for it not to take too big of a dive. Um Dave Burns, I believe, was the, the, the host of the entire broadcast there. And Dave is usually on pit lane. So, 
Yeah. Wasn't your standard broadcast, knowing that there's uh, some IndyCar stuff happening the day before, and I don't think everybody wanted to transfer over to uh, make that four-hour drive to mid-Ohio, then come right back for uh, Indy 500 stuff. So I don't know. It felt like just a, a different weekend. Small grid, different people presenting it. Eh, not the the uh, the worst thing in the world. Uh, Jamie Bender, after being spoiled by the IndyCar phone app, I wonder why IMSA doesn't have a phone app that is of similar quality. Uh, why doesn't IMSA slash NASCAR want to be on the cutting edge with their technology to attract and keep a younger fan base? <clears throat> I don't know, but I suspect it's the fact that IndyCar had longtime title sponsor Verizon involved in developing uh, their app. Verizon's gone, but I think the bones of it and a lot of the good things they developed using money <laughs> and, uh, and talent to create such a thing, I think that's maybe the legacy that has left IndyCar with a pretty darn good app, Graham. Um, I don't know if IMSA has the budget to do the same. And I know infrastructure-wise, they certainly do not have the staff to pull all that off. Kevin Kemp, penultimate IMSA question here. If Roger Penske has his say in who drives for him, I have to think getting Ricky Taylor back behind the list for the new program asks, would Ricky leave his father's team, or do you think he is where he belongs? What I think, which is really awesome, uh, I believe I read this press release during the offseason, is Ricky's become a factory driver. So he might drive for his father in a factory program, but I believe Ricky is indeed a Honda, Honda Performance Development uh, employed driver. So don't know the lengths and terms of his contract, but I know that with Acura announcing its tent, intent, Graham, to continue in the top class prototypes and wanting to do some, I don't know, LMD Husky, well, I can't imagine any scenario unless Roger and Porsche throw bazillions of dollars at him that there would be any way to get between Acura slash Honda and Ricky Taylor. So if anything, I think Ricky would be their lead development person uh, getting that chassis up and happy. Dane Cameron as well, I believe, is on the factory side too. So yeah, uh, that might be a tough ask to uh, get them back, Kev. And finally, let's see, Alex Ware, I think you or someone else have sent in some Nick Tandy-related questions, and I apologize we haven't gotten to them last couple of episodes. You say, do you think GM will use Nick Tandy in a future GTD Corvette or future LMDH uh, or LMPH? I'm not sure what that is. Uh, I bet Porsche wish they could have retained him. Hmm. All I know on this topic... Alex is it's not as clear as I had hoped it would be. So is Nick truly no longer associated with Porsche in any way? Well, we believe he's still doing what some non GTLM stuff with them, Graham. Yep. Um, GT three. Yep. Can't say again, if, and what contracts are or are not, if I'm Corvette, I would, probably not want Nick Tandy to ever go away because he's pretty good at what he does. Uh, this is a hard one to answer because I don't know where he is at contractually. Is there a loan in place? Is he still under contract, you know, full co primary contract maybe uh, 
from Porsche and since they're out of GTLM and maybe didn't have a, a GTD customer seat for him, maybe he didn't want it, maybe they did, maybe he didn't want it, I don't know. Is this some form of, hey, we want you to drive, we want you to do your thing, we'll let you go play with Corvette for a little bit, uh, knowing that our man Oliver Gavin has retired? I can't tell you. Um, so I don't know, but I'll tell you this. Uh, boy, with anything Corvette will do in the future, I would certainly want to have him in my team if I was running that Corvette program. And if I was Porsche and I have a new LMDH coming, uh, I seem to recall Nick being okay in prototypes. So I would certainly want him there. Maybe it's extreme strategery coming, Graham. Nick will say, open the stint in a Corvette, jump out, <laughs> run over to the factory Porsche LMDH, do a stint there, right? Maybe, Take out the Corvette. Right? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Well, maybe nudge a Ferrari or, uh, you know, some other uh, uh, GTD Pro competitor out of the way while in his Porsche LMDH, I don't honestly know the answer to this, Alex, but it's a great problem, I would say, to be Nick Tandy because, heck, if he it, if it was possible for him to be in a third manufacturer entry, I'm sure uh, there's more than two who would love to have his services. So I, I, I'll, add, I'll add, by the way, that uh, Nick is named, uh, not a surprise, uh, as part of the Fricadelli Racing Team efforts at the Nürburgring 24 Hours this year in the their lead Porsche. 125 cars, by the way, listed for that race. That's just under 30 up on um, a long-time low in the aftermath of COVID. Uh, 96 cars last year. So Nick is driving a Porsche, one of the big Blue Ribbon events. But, uh, yeah, it is going to be interesting, isn't it, how that kind of pans out. Uh, I need to catch up with young Mr. Tandy um, and find out how little he'll tell me when he asks him those questions. But uh, there you go. Any more for him, sir? Or are we going to move on? We're moving on to wherever you say, pal. Uh, well, let's move on to where Calthams, uh Elms and Aco. Uh, this comes, of course, in the aftermath of another racing weekend in ACO Wheels Racing at Red Bull Ring. And again, apologies for our inability to find functioning Wi-Fi um, whilst in the Styrian Mountains of Austria. Um, I'm doing this with a headset rather than a, um, than a uh, mobile phone. Should say. So, where would you like to take me, MP? <laughs> <laughs> I am not answering that question, but I can't tell you. I'm in love with the Coco, as in Stathis Coco, and also our pal Ricky Zagata. Uh, Stathis opens with How are the next generation GTE regulations progressing, Graham? Any update on the matter? If not, shall we expect some updates soon? Ricky adds, What does the future of GTE look like? Uh, seeing there was a press conference scheduled for Le Mans week about this. Yeah, this is all to do with what's going to happen in terms of uh, progression, convergence, whatever we want to call it. Pervergence. To do with, uh, pervergence to do with GTE. Right, first things first, uh, we've had already both the current factory teams in the WEC, Porsche, and they, of course a Ferrari committing to a uh, next season as well. So GTE Pro will continue in its current um, guise through to the end of 2022, which is, of course, when we're expecting the cavalry to arrive in LMDH. What will happen after that, we don't yet know. Um, Ricky's correct. There is, uh, there 
was a statement made that some kind of announcement will be made Le Mans week to do with the future shape of GT racing. What might that be? Well, it could be GTD Pro, GT3 uh, Pro. It could be that they hang on in there with GTM for a little while longer. Um, in answer to a question somebody asked me, um, I think during Red Bull Ring week, I did a bit of a um, a totting up MP to find that in terms of cars we expect to race this season, there will be the, a total of 37 different GTE cars, GTLM cars, will race at least once this season somewhere. That includes, for instance, the third Corvette that raced at uh, Spa. It includes, uh, count them, four Ferraris and two Porsches, which at the moment only have one race apiece attributed to them um, for the Le Mans 24 hours, but 37. That's not a small number. The problem is that they're being spread pretty thinly outside of GTM in uh, WC and GTE, which is de facto GTM in the European Le Mans series. Both of those coming close to kind of double figures. Everything else is pretty you know, pretty thinly spread. So um, I don't think there's a foregone conclusion yet. Uh, there is a uh, an opinion out there, and I don't necessarily disagree with it, that GTM needs to be given a bit of a chance to carry on out there. I've said before, and I'll repeat it again now, that I don't think the ACO are at home to allowing manufacturers uh, uh, an easier option than committing to LMDH. And I think that will affect the timing of whatever decision they make. Do I think a shift is inevitable? I think the reality is if you're looking to retain depth of numbers and variety in uh, GT racing, it's the most likely scenario is at some point something around GT3 will come. The key is how and when, whether or not it is going to be around one rules format. So is there a wholesale switch to GT3? Is there a partial switch to GT3? And does that come in the pro class or in the am class? What, what, what do they do and how do they do it? It's not an easy one. And it comes at a time when there are a lot of questions on the table. They're trying to manage this influx of manufacturer interest in prototypes. There is the looming prospect of uh, the hydrogen regulations to come uh, almost in parallel with that in 2024 there is um i think a growing need to address the future of lmp2 urgently uh, i think that one is uh, frankly i think they've kind of taken their eye off the ball on that one that needs to be grabbed grasped right now uh, because confidence is beginning to wane uh, on that front and then there's gt uh, so the answer here is, I don't know what we're going to hear. We are not getting very much guidance on what we're going to hear. And I think that's because they haven't yet finally decided what they're going to do. Uh, so look forward in August to hearing what the ACO have got to say. Hopefully we can find out some of their kind of thought process a uh, wee while before that. All righty. We're going to go to Richard Cooper. It says Toyota have had the Groot their new hypercar back in the wind tunnel. What development work can they do to the homologated car? Or are they just blowing the last of the sand out? <laughs> Come on now. Richard, Stop but, being but I think, on point, Richard. I, I think they were just trying to understand uh, how 
on the Monday of that week, they were going as fast as they possibly could and all of a sudden found four seconds. So they're probably in the wind tunnel trying to find that that out. Uh, I think that there's lots of fine-tuning you can do. There's lots of clever stuff that can be done around um, the package that they've actually got. Uh, there's all sorts of little bits and pieces of trickery which they're not going to admit to us or anybody else that they uh, are getting up to. But uh, look, it is a brand new car. It has raced once. Um, we've got the very different challenge of the Le Mans 24 hours coming, where the car, by the way, will be in a different specification. It'll be running less power, 20 kilowatts less power at Le Mans than the other races uh, this season. So there's all sorts of things that it could be. Um, are they going to tell us? <laughs> They're absolutely not going to tell us. Um, I, I think what was very clear uh, from the... <sighs> quality of communication directly from senior management um, at uh, the Spa WC race is the politics starts right here. Uh, oh, great. I can hear you say, uh, trust me, it's no easier when you're fa facing people face to face. So the answer is, are you going to see a dramatically new, bod new body kit for Le Mans? No, of course you're not. They've got what they've got, but there are levels of adjustment within that package development isn't just that that vertical curve that effectively killed lmp1 it is the nips tucks and tweaks that can make just that tiniest of differences and they've got very clever kits at toyota they've got the wind tunnel one of the most advanced around there they've got a superb uh, simulator to, to check those calculations as well and to see whether or not they can be translated on track um, there's a little bit of hashtag wait and see here. Um, I think they'll be trying to understand some of the issues that emerged in that car. We saw them running into braking problems um, you know, later in the race with certainly one of the cars. There'll be a lot of things that they can try to find out. What can they do to improve airflow? What can they do to improve cooling? What can they do within the realms of minor adjustments around that car? And what effect does it have, not just on what they're attempting to do, but on the potentially unforeseen offshoots of that uh, adjustment on other aspects of the car. There we go. Let's see. Daniel Summerskill, first time. Thanks for sending this in. Welcome to the show. Is there a changing of the guard in LMP2 and ELMS? Team WRT winning for a second race in a row. United Autosports being distinctly off color. The Red Bull ring with 7th and 23rd. Also... Uh, what did you think of Logan Sargent's performance in his mm -hmm. LMP2 race debut? Could we see him at Le Mans? Johnny Schultz, similar thing. Hey, not super happy. RBR visit for the official team of LMP2, uh, that being United Auto Sports. Right. Where do we start with this? Uh, it was an extraordinary race again in the European Le Mans. If you haven't seen it, do take a look even at the highlights because there was plenty to watch, plenty to enjoy. Um, WRT have certainly come out punching uh, with you know a high-quality driver squad, uh, very good in the pit stops. It's something we've seen from WRT in their GT3 days. In fact, I go as far as to say that uh, WRT were one of the reasons why 
the regulations for GT World Challenge became more restrictive about pit stops because they were so good. Uh, it was a, a performance that many other teams simply couldn't come close to, to matching and was making the, uh, the, if you like, skewing the competition through quality. Uh, but um, United Autosports have certainly had a difficult start to the year. I think it is fair to say they have had other things on their mind um, this year about which I will leave you to speculate, dear listeners. Um, but they will be bouncing back. I've certainly noticed areas of their performance where there is room for improvement. And certainly that includes some of the pit stops have not been of the quality that uh, the team would uh, would have expected. It's, I think, extremely healthy for them and everybody else. When you've got a team of high quality coming in, and effectively slapping the money down the table and saying, match that. Uh, I think we're going to have a hell of a season in the European Le Mans series. I think it's coming as well with the FIWC. What United achieved last year in LMP2 raised the game. The key at the moment is who is trying and who is able to match that progress. And we saw... Uh, over the last weekend, big improvement from what was happening with G-Drive and the APR team. Uh, excellent performance again from WRT, but it was not easy for any of them. Um, it's, it is absolutely fair to say that um, that neither of the United cars had a clean run, um, but then neither did most other uh, teams in the changeable weather with, I think, five or six cars off the circuit uh, at one point with standing water at one corner. Um Zero doubt, to, to, in my mind, United Autosports will bounce back. And from their point of view, on the good side of things, I think we started to see um, flashes of the potential of their newer drivers than a P2 emerging from the uh, the Austrian Merck. Uh, Jonathan Aberdyne, I thought, uh, showed a distinct improvement in pace and consistency. I think we can see more to come from him. Um, and are they going to be a pushover, United Autosports? No, they're really not. <laughs> I think if you're going to go win a race in the European Le Mans series, you've got to go buy the 22 and the 32 car, as well as the other dozen or so uh, cars that are going to be thrown down the road at you. Um, it's spectacular racing. Uh, it shows those LMP2 cars, principally Oricas. It might be a bit of an Orica Cup, as some people will chuck at it, but um, it does go to show that there are those that can and those that can do less uh, when given the same machinery. All righty. Where are we going next, my friend? Uh, Let's have a, I, I think uh, it's a, uh, a expert's pick from here on out. Well, let me have a crack at it. So uh, Trevor Gagola says, um, is there a reason it seems LMP3 racing in Europe and Asia is 20 times better than in North America? After this week's LMS race convinced a different breed of drivers purchase and drive LMP3 cars across the pond. I think the answer um, principally here is because the European teams have had more opportunity to race those cars in mixed class racing. Remember, it's year one of the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Um, and the reality is that that, that does breed understanding. It breeds, I think, um, better race engineering, better race craft, all of those kind of things. Not to say we don't have our 
peculiar brand of chaos. We do. But I think you will see if if LMP3 does hang around uh, for another season in IMSA. I think you'll see a change in that. Certainly LMP3, it, it has its peculiarities. The, the peculiarity which many people miss is that it might not always be really close racing throughout the race. But that's because of that peculiarity with the pit stops that we have in the LMS and the Asia Le Mans series, where two of the three mandatory pit stops are longer pit stops. And you can take those wherever you like through the race. And that means that sometimes you'll see a car leading by half a lap. But in reality, it's actually on the same pace. It's just taken 40 seconds less in the pits. So it's, it is a peculiar sort of formula. It does work in that mix with P2 and GTE in the European Le Mans series and with GT3 in the Asia Le Mans series. Um, has it yet worked as well with quicker DPIs, less quick LMP2s and a mix of GT cars? You be the judge, I think, uh, is, the, is the straight honest answer there. My view is it can work. Uh, my view as well is, by the way, that those teams will only get better with those machines. Uh, do I think it's to do with the quality of the drivers? There's very different set of rules about what you're allowed to drive, what you're allowed to field in terms of driving talent uh, in LMP3 in the US than there is in Europe. Maybe that has a part to play, but I think the principal reason MP is going to be down to the team's experience with those cars in a mixed class grid where there are quicker and slower cars on track. Uh, Let's have a quick look. Uh, Sebastian Ogier, says Michael Frodgett, is in his last full season in WRC. He wants to do Le Mans. He's already with Toyota. Will he move over to WC? Thanks for all you do. I can tell you, but, uh, Mr. Ogier came very close indeed to a run in LP2 a couple of years ago. Uh, he has uh, yeah, a uh, friend in the paddock at that point. He was very influential in the driver picks for, um, for an LP2 team. Rather sadly, that team were not selected that year and felt constrained by the um, the kind of confidentiality they had about that relationship from telling the ACO what their plans were. But Ogier came very close to being uh, selected for an LMP2 place uh, just a couple of years ago. Hope he does. We saw Sebastian Loeb come and do miraculously well at LMP1 uh, back in the day. We saw Colin McRae come and do very well in the GT1 Ferrari. Uh, no doubt in my mind, I'm sure you'd agree, MP, that top-line WRC drivers are amongst the most talented uh, competition drivers on the planet. Uh, amazing skill levels. And I think those translate pretty well to endurance racing as long as it can take the edge of clipping those curbs. Oh, I would say the greatest body of talent within all forms of motor racing drivers certainly has lived within the finest rally drivers for, I don't know how long granted are they capable of destroying the competition in every form of motor racing? No, but Mm -hmm. their ability to be all rounders to excel seemingly anywhere they might want to compete. We have sports car racing, as we know, it's a great home for, the aforementioned all-rounders. Boy, this stock car, open wheel, whatever it is, person comes to Le Mans, um, the folks competing 
in endurance racing able to go and do other forms of of sport and perform at super high levels we've seen a lot of that fun it just seems like the kind of perfect (laughs) hybrid human being that can do all of it better than everyone else happens to be the lobes and ogiers and and keep moving back science and yada 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 so yeah uh walter rural blah 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 yeah just a different breed um i think there's a little bit of like a head case kind of aspect to the finest rally drivers because they are embracing calamity as just part of their normal day job a little bit more i think than most other drivers so maybe it just makes them able to push farther out to the edge in uh unfamiliar motor racing circumstances so now, there needs to be uh, a wrc driver class i think in whether elms that. uh WEC, imsa something come on make it happen <laughs> let's uh, uh finish off the WEC aslam's echo section with a couple of questions i'm just trying to uh, find the one i've just lost i'm afraid status cocker who says uh, we saw spa lmp2 cars were faster than mh cars not for the whole meeting they weren't at portimao there were many touristy sections and in theory played to the hands of p2s what i'm expecting to happen regarding bop and lmh performance in general and then nick dobignac says with the uh, pace of the new LMH cars compared to the dialed-back LMP2 cars now shown. Can I stop worrying about the relative pace of an MDH when they arrive? The current IMSA DPI cars seem to have a similar specification to the IMSA spec P2s. Um, and the added uh, Husky is supposed to make them slightly quicker. I, I think we can afford to take a, a step away from all of this and just let this play out. Um, it is very clear that the rule makers of the ACO and the FIA are confident of their process. Um, my view has always been they should be given the opportunity to show, display that confidence um, and then be judged on the basis of the uh, the cars in competition. I think as we saw at Spa, they were about right. Um, and I think it, it's correct to have a level of competition that has the, um, the a faultless clockwork-like display for an LMP2 car should be rewarded with the opportunity to be in amongst those cars, those hypercars, if they cannot be faultless. And we didn't quite see that uh, at the end of the race. We did see them finally put a lap on them, I think, eventually, comprehensively in the fourth hour of a six-hour race. And I think that's about right. Uh, you know, the game is not to reapply LMP1 versus LMP2 gaps in performance. The game here has changed fairly dramatically. And I do think it's completely correct that the performance parameters of the hypercars should reward not only the ultimate performance they can uh, display on track in terms of lap time and stint time, but also reliability. That's what endurance racing should be about. I'm glad we're not in an era anymore, MP, when you know you could win a class in an endurance race by spending two hours in a garage. The, for me, it should reward the ability to to 
grind out that pace to keep doing that pace through traffic traffic is as we said on last week's show and the week before as well is going to be a significantly bigger challenge in this new era simply because this new breed of cars doesn't have the punch i think if we get to le mans and there's further shenanigans on that front, then maybe there's a further conversation to be had about process and data and blah, blah. But I'll just finally add this. Every single one of the manufacturers that we've spoken about um, during conversations and the answers about LMDH and Le Mans Hypercar have been in the same technical working groups. They have seen all of that data. They've got all of those facilities, the modeling, the the supercomputers, the wind tunnels, the simulators, they know what they believe their cars can do. And as far as I'm aware, nobody before we actually got to the track was complaining about that. The stratification certainly happened too late for everybody's comfort. There are questions to be asked about the level of communication that happened there, principally with the LMP2 teams, and therefore potentially about what they did and didn't tell uh, the hypercar manufacturers. But the one race we've had, remember, one race we've had, um, certainly showed that you could race. The LMH cars were racing each other. The LMH cars had to be quick and consistent to beat off the challenge from the LMP2 cars. And the LMP2 cars, indeed, were racing each other. Is it got the ultimate bite of the searing pace of the era of LMP, LMP1H at its, at its nadir? No, it doesn't. But that's not the point. What we're looking for is a bigger depth of competition in the top class and to retain a depth of competition in the more junior, the pro-am class, if you like, in prototype racing. The proof of the pudding will be in the eating by 2023, I think. There we go. Speaking of where we go, uh, we got a little under a half an hour. So you tell me where we're going, buddy. Let's have a look at her general. I'll chuck this one in first because there might well be a quick answer you can give here. Sean Crockett uh, says, guys, forget all this LMH, LMDH, nonsense. Where can I get a twist T-shirt with one of the new logos? He wore an old logo shirt at the morning on Saturday race day 2019. It's the only time anyone has approached me with a comment, cool shirt, dude. So now I need another to maintain my coolness with my traveling posse for when we can get to LM. I hope this year, uh, Sean, can Sean get a, get a T-shirt, MP? I don't know, Graham. Do we like Sean? Have we had this discussion yet? I mean, I mean should it's either guy. It's, oh, he's that guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That that guy. Guy. Yeah. All right. Fair point. Uh, all right, Sean, you can get a t-shirt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, our show partner who we mention at the opening of every episode and at the end of every episode, whom I wish you might have visited because then you would know you could get the shirts. TorontoMotorsports.com. They have, is it a litany? Is it a bevy? Is it a heck a bunch? Oh, they have lots of t-shirts. The weekend sports cars in particular. Why? Well, I have this little thing where I love coming up with new logo ideas and then asking our pal Roger Warwick, the amazing artist Roger Warwick, to use his fertile mind 
to spread those thoughts onto a digital uh, platform, a digital page with colors and words and vehicles. And so if you were to visit torontomotorsports.com, located, oddly enough, Graham, outskirts of Toronto, Canada, they do indeed ship. They do indeed ship internationally, and I am positive they would love to send you as many shirts as you would like to order. So, Sean, <sighs> hook it up, brother man. Um, I think pretty much everything that we have used that you might have seen in our calls for questions or posting of the show, I think all of those logos are available in T-shirt form. If mm. you can't find the one that you want, let me know, and I will ask our pal Derek Koska at TorontoMotorsports.com to fire one out for you. Fantastic. Uh, let's go to Stephen Ellis and Otto Kinsel IV, both of whom talking about convincing new fans. Stephen says he's got a friend. Oh, oh you say. got a friend, he's, Stephen. Oh, very nice. yeah. Yeah, he's just starting to get into, into racing. I'm trying to point them towards sports cars. Obviously, having many classes in WCNM so makes it confusing. If you're trying to convince a new fan, sports car racing is worth watching. What would you tell them? Uh, Otto says... He's got a co-worker, so you fan of F1 through the Drive to Fight Survive series. That's the Netflix series. We're discussing motorsports. I was trying to tell him about IMSA and sports car racing. When I started going into the nitty-gritty, could see his eyes glazing, glazing over. He thinks one of the reasons sports car racing is not more popular in the mainstream motorsports world is it makes itself so confusing with its classes. I don't disagree. I'm going to default to my default answer on this one, which is explain to your friends if they are trying to understand this this is a single racetrack with four or five separate races going on at the same time that that's the easiest way we get into the classes and blah 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 i get it my eyes glaze over and i do this for a living but explain it that way so what you've got is cars going really quick and then, so in other words, you know, if you imagine your lottery win comes up, you want to go and buy a Ferrari, it's cars like that, only cooler. They're going really quick, but then you've got other cars going even faster. And, of course, what's happening is they're catching them and trying to pass them as they're having their own race. That's what sports car racing does. And it does it for a long time, which means that the stamina aspect comes into it. And we don't stop when it's raining. And quite often we don't stop when it goes dark either. So it's... Choose your weapon, I think, in terms of trying to get somebody interested into it. But don't do what we all too often do and go too much into the detail when you're trying to explain it. Keep it simple. It is a racetrack. And they're always they're very cool racetracks with some really cool cars. Show them pictures of the cars. The cars look cool. It's one of the biggest selling points. Don't show the drivers they're terrible people but show the show the pictures of the cars and then tell them that car can put out a lap in two minutes that car can put out a lap in one minute 45 and they're racing at the same time against pick a number five ten fifteen twenty cars in the same class 20, 30, 40 cars on track. In the case of the Nürburgring, for the 24 hours, 125 cars that will be on the track. I thought you meant 125 classes. Uh, There's uh, not far off it. I, okay. think, I think there are. Uh, the, uh, the Nürburgring 24 hours this year, and the 125 cars, 34 are in the top class, plus a couple that are in SPX. I call it 36. 
uh, only two other classes reach double figures with 10 and 11, which means that all the other classes, and there's lots of them, some of them with one or two, they're here, there, and everywhere. But on either way, it's still an awesome um, uh, an awesome viewing festival. It's a, it's a great thing to actually watch it. But I, I think just try and distill it down to what it means to you as a trackside or a TV viewer. What are you watching? How are you watching it? You've heard me say this before, that if you're going for the first time, take a look at the program, take a look at the cars in the paddock, take a look if you're lucky to be off an IMSA race and one of Andy Blackmore's amazing spotter's guides is there. Take a look at the spotter's guide, pick a car in every class and make that the car you're going to follow. And that way you've got skid in the game in every class. And should you be unlucky enough to have a car that falls by the wayside, you've still got three or four, depending on the classes that you're out there to watch. Trust me, it does make a massive, massive difference. It's how I used to keep uh, my young son uh, engaged with racing uh, when we went for, you know, to watch BPR races, all the Le Mans 24 hours, you know, which much as he loved the cars, he loved the spectacle, you know, interest can wane but if actually what you're looking for is that orange Porsche that comes down around every three and a half minutes and then that green Ferrari that maybe comes around every four minutes trust me if you've got that little bit of genetic obsession that we do um, then it will catch your attention if not it may be not your thing but keep it simple is my answer you're going to pick a cup you know I'm just going to add I, I I get the premise auto I I understand where you're coming from, Stephen. I never fully buy it, though. Uh, I always, I should say always, uh, I usually find it's just a case of laziness. Uh, and that being, if we're talking about folks who really do love them some sports, right? Not a casual fan who, you know, I have a car and I drive a car, but eh, I don't really care about cars. I don't know if you're going to convert that person into a motor racing fan, much less the super minutiae laden world of sports cars and endurance racing. But if you have a friend who enjoys sports, unless we're talking golf where it's a guy or gal with a stick hitting a small ball and then walking a long time to go find it again and then hitting it again with a stick or it's tennis with two people on the side of a net hitting a ball back and forth. Yeah, there's a lot of little things there too, but for the most part, it's two people hitting a ball back and forth. If that's the level of mental capabilities for folks to grasp a sport, I don't think you're going to convert them into sports cars. I also would say I don't know if they really want to be bothered with anything more complex than the simplest of sports. But I often find graham that you know you hear folks whinge about too many classes too hard to follow okay cool i'm I'm not disagreeing with your assessment let's talk about some of the other sports you love and you find out like oh okay well yeah there's a other sports you watch where it certainly is not one for the faint of heart um (laughs) we could pick whether it's some of the sports that are popular here in America, uh, our version of football, there is so much going on on every play that it's impossible to track all of it. There's no way you can grasp everything going on. And then there's a very short break and another play happens and another play. And it's this 
highly complex orchestration, many things going on at the same time, many people trying to achieve different things at different skill levels, and just absorbing it all, it'll twist your mind quickly. Uh, basketball, far fewer people involved, but there's so much going on. I just find that you go, look, if you're willing and capable of taking a sport that has a lot of players in it and has a lot of action and movement, and you've invested the time to understand it, understand the dance, all the nuances, all the rules, and, and really get to a point where you can sit down and watch that game and process it and enjoy it, there should be no roadblocks. There should be no stumbles in doing the same in endurance racing. It just takes a willingness. So I just often come back to the thing put up as a barrier to following multi-class sports car racing. I think you could wind back for a lot of people and say, well, you had that same discussion with yourself when you chose to follow name the major and very popular sport that is also fairly intricate and you opted in to do that and it you didn't grasp it overnight it took a little while took some investment but now it's you know one of the key pillars of things that you love here we are with the same thing just if you want to it's there but let's not make it out like oh my gosh this is like nothing else in the world Um, i do come back to close though graham on your point if you're talking about friends who aren't totally sure maybe are a little bit like all right that's a lot to digest it's never a, a bad thing to just go to the cars. Hey, look at that. <laughs> it's really fast and it's really cool. And it's got neat colors on it and it sounds amazing. And look at that over there. It's a different type of car and it's unique, but it's also fast and beautiful and colorful and hopefully sounds amazing. And there's just the basic passion side, which I think you can appeal to. Uh, I don't know if it needs to be any more complex than that um we sure have seen a lot of people love their multi-class racing over the years graham and it become very very popular uh throughout the world uh, at times where whatever endurance series is in the midst of a boom so uh it's not impossible just takes willingness a couple of the quick ones from the Her General side of things. Nikolai B says, as we're nearly six months post-Brexit, has there been any further talk of UK-based teams moving across the channel, or are they still hashtag waiting and seeing? I don't think any of them were talking about moving. Uh, I think they're always uh, all going to retain their UK base. The issue was um, if there were border control issues and delays to coming back and getting back out again on a short turnaround, uh, particularly with no international racing at the moment in the UK, whether or not there might be a kind of uh, staging post. And yes, there have been conversations with a number of teams, uh, either standalone or in the case of several, actually combining on a continental um, staging post. I am not aware that that has progressed. Um, but then again, take into account this whilst it is not the most straightforward thing at the moment to get across the border uh, to and from the UK you at least certainly for the likes of myself traveling by car um, there are not huge queues because very limited numbers of people are traveling I am not looking forward in any way shape or form to the carnage that will happen with our current state of need for paperwork when 
that traffic increases exponentially once the border, particularly with France, uh, becomes an easier thing for people to uh, to deal with. At the moment, active discouragement from the UK government about leaving. Uh, you're not allowed, still not allowed to go on holiday. Mixed messages all over the place. But the answer very quickly is no, I'm not aware that anything has actually moved forward. Damien Peachman said, how's the grid for the Nürburgring 24 hours looking? I think as we said, uh, just about half an hour before I sat down to record the show, that entry is out at 125 uh, cars. That's up nearly 30 on last year. And Gregor uh, Petrovic says, uh, what future holds for Callum Milet? Could he become a Ferrari factory driving hypercar, at least in GT, in the post-GT era? I've zero d- doubt that the supremely talented Mr. Milet is somebody that Ferrari are um, keeping very much um, in their own camp. There's going to be a reason for that. Do I think they hang on to him for Formula One? Possibly not very very difficult to get a foot on that ladder they do indeed have hypercar uh, coming pretty shortly i would at this point be surprised if he wasn't part of their reckoning in that one and i hope he is because i'd hate to see a young man that talented uh kind of wither on the vine and be lost to the sports uh, if, if we can claim him as one of our own in endurance racing that would be i think a bit of a triumph um We've got, I think, what, 10 minutes, MP? Triumph and endurance racing. Count me in. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's see. Yeah, we. what do we have? Yeah, 10-ish minutes or so. Okay. I'm um, going gonna, gonna to read one to you with my face. Uh, this is, comes from James Fox. It says, oh. I've recently read Quentin Spring's excellent Lamar book, 1929 through 19, 1923 through 1929. Says in the 29 edition, the ACO Media Center was improved with six telephones and a telegraph counter. What, in your opinion, not someone else's opinion, but our opinion, Graham, makes a good media center now? And what is the best you've used and worst? Uh, Ryan Kish throws in something too. Should we? uh, We need to. We need to do the thing we're told not to, like. uh, say his name a couple times and then the monster appears. But hey, we'll say Ryan Kish and, and stand on faith that we won't be attacked by uh, sports car spirits. He says, here's what makes a good media center. Ryan, by the way, member of the uh, Daily Sports Car Posse and man who assembles. Is he a man or is he still a child? I don't know. He's a ginger. So we're al- Always wonky with those types uh, who puts together the questions for us each week. He says, here's what makes a good media center. Oh, Jesus. Snacks and food. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll be Big, good air conditioning near the paddock. Right. No stairs or any nonsense. Kota is the perfect <laughs> media center. So right, here right, we are. Right. A pup. Right, okay. <laughs> with the big, biggest foul of snacks and food. The worst trope for reporters. Only there to get the free food. Oh, come on, there Kish. You're well, killing me. I- Right, good air conditioning. Um, okay, he's from California. Uh, Kota, 
for all its pluses, you could hang meat in that that room. It is freezing, absolutely freezing. Whenever anybody goes to Kota, I always tell them, pack warm clothing, not because of the weather, but because of the media center. It's freezing in there. So, right, what makes a good media center? Delighted to say, by the way, and thank you, by the way, James, for the question, is the ACO, I, I gather, are fixing that sixth phone line for uh, Le Mans this year. Uh, we've, if we're down to five to the time. No, the, the answer is... What makes a good media centre nowadays is excellent access to timing. And if there is a view, great. If there's not, then the TVs better work. Um, in this day and age, internet. Internet is absolutely everything. And trust me, you shouldn't be charging for it. Very few do nowadays. I'm looking at you, Spa24 Hours, who still charge media a significant amount of money for the internet. Happily, the days of Le Mans doing that are somewhat in the past now, but it wasn't that long ago, uh, where per connection, I'm sure you remember this MP, it was, depending on which year, between 90 and 130 euros per connection. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, there might have been a few nights I didn't have dinner because I spent yeah, a little bit of money I had so I could be on the interwebs at the good old media center. Yeah. So, so, so certainly um, functioning and free uh, internet is a, a definite given. Uh, there are those that would say a view of the track. Uh, my view would be, yes, nice to have, but actually much better if you've actually got uh, access to a decent and functioning timing uh, system. Access to the paddock, uh, Ryan is absolutely right. That's invaluable. Uh, there are some that are uh, many, 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 many steps away uh, from the paddock. Um, access to some kind of sustenance is always a good thing, even if it's just decent coffee. Uh, and the other thing I'd say is reasonable quiet. You will remember, MP, <laughs> the otherwise excellent what? Uh, facilities that were put what? together for Super Sebring. Uh, suffered from one thing and one thing only, which is catastrophically noisy. Am I right? Because you had a, you had a noise meter running, an average of was it ninety six or ninety eight decibels? I think we got up to ninety eight with uh, when the Porsches and P twos went by. Um, it, was, it was catastrophically noisy in there, um, but yeah, quiet is a, 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 an absolute given. Because here's the thing: trying to work and concentrate with constant noise is exhausting uh, i think is that with it for me i want some space because i'm a messy devil um i do want access to coffee uh good air conditioning define i don't want to be too hot i don't want to be too cold i want decent internet and uh access to the uh, paddock and a reasonable control on the external noise uh, such i love a princess. I know I love race cars more than you can possibly imagine, but you know what? After a week in a media center, a racetrack, it's nice when they stop. Um, it's, it's, it, it, yeah, they are still very, very noisy. Amongst the best, <sighs> that's a great question. Daytona is not bad. Daytona is not bad. No view of the track from the main media center at Daytona whatsoever. Um, in terms of the view, um, the tower at Daytona, an extraordinary view. Rockingham, now sadly, for the most part, closed in the UK. An amazing view of the circuit. Uh, one of the few good things about Shanghai is one of the best views of a media center in the world. It is one of those two bridges, by the way, across the track in, in Shanghai. 
Um, in terms of ticking all of those boxes, Bathurst is excellent. Uh, not just because there's an excellent uh, staff there and uh, with the Bathurst 12 hour with Richard Crowell on tap. And no, it's not just because they bring us pizza and beer after the race, which they do. Um, it's just, it's, it ticks almost all of those boxes. You can have 90 degree heat outside. It's comfortable. Everything works. There's enough space, although it's crowded, it's enough space. People are respectful in there of each other. Uh, Bathurst is pretty darn good. Uh, just trying to think through some of the other ones that, that kind of tick the boxes. Um, Bahrain has no view of the track, but otherwise is just about perfect in every regard. Fuji, another one. The staff there are fantastic. Um, absolutely amazing. Some of the places that are I've, I've not yet uh, been to, I'm not sure you have yet, uh, MP, Road Atlanta's new media center no i haven't that makes me you just made me sad yeah uh yes have not been there okay so uh amongst the 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 the, the ones that have been struggling can we say with struggling into the 20th century or even the 21st century sebring um the deadline media center there you know ken breslau did his very best but it, it is extremely crowded in that little room um, and you know, it struggles I think in this day and age to be completely fit for purpose. Um, <sighs> Brands Hatch, it's all right. It's a bit uh, Silverstone. They've made better, but Silverstone was so quiet that you could miss the cars being on track, which is the opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, Spa is a bloody awful place to go racing. Um, it's it, that, that room has never worked properly. Everything is a slog. Um, the staff are pretty good, uh, but things just don't work very well there. Uh, and certainly not very reliably. And it has, I'm just going to check now. Yes, it has the worst coffee in the world. Wow. What, what makes it the worst? It doesn't taste of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to, to the point where, the point where, when you you serve yourself a coffee from the coffee machine, and you when you drink it and immediately spit it across whatever's in front of you because it's revolting, you have to check that it is coffee that you've served yourself up, but it wasn't the machine self cleaning. It wasn't that, some sort of French fries with mayonnaise. Uh, machine liquid liquefied machine oh oh i got a minute you've just reminded me of something else because spa did this i don't know if they're still doing it when we get back to um fans being back and certainly nurburgring did it for many uh, for these bloody awful prepaid cards where you have to load them up with x amount of euro or buy vouchers um and it, it never oh, it's it's so difficult to explain the system but it's a total scam. It effectively means you leave the track with either your money on a card you can't use anywhere else or half a voucher because nothing ever matches up to uh, quite what it is you've put into that system. It's a scam. It's hateful. Stop doing it. It's insulting. Uh, that's not something that's on behalf of the media, by the way. That's actually aimed at the fan base. and That makes it even more unforgivable. Uh, but, yeah... <sighs> They're the kind of things you, you tend to kind of notice and moan about after the first couple of days. You'll just soak it up because you're there to work. 
but it does make your heart sink when you go back to certain places. Spa, the circuit is amazing. If you're a fan and you've not been there, go there. It's an astonishing place to watch racing, but it's horrible to work at. Just don't go as a journo. All right, so I'm going to close by adding one thing, and then we do need to say farewell, Graham. Uh, the worst, without a doubt, in the U.S., and I, I qualify this because I know when this has been asked in the past, I've mentioned Lime Rock, uh, but it's so bad there that it's just not even it, it's not even an attempt. Like you know <laughs> that a hundred years ago, horses were kept in that room, right? So again, it's just like a all right, this is the room where the fewest amount of animals died on the property. Yeah, we'll put some reporters in there. The actual kind of high-functioning place with a lot of big races each year, and Lime Rock's no longer, isn't that place anymore. The place that has a lot of races, from IMSA to IndyCar to NASCAR and so on, uh, that is just comically tragic, is Mid-Ohio. So you could never sneak up, I guess the killing theme keeps coming to mind here, you could never sneak up on somebody and kill them in the media center. <laughs> Because it's so old in the steps inside, not to get up to the media center, but once you're inside are all big pieces of wood carved out of something from a thousand years ago that it's just creak, 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 creak. Every step taken by every person going up or down or, oh my gosh, up and down at the same time. Uh, it's heard paddock wide you would think it is so loud so and it's just it, it occurs to me and you talk about the wi-fi and the this and the that they've cleaned up a couple of things that were the thing we used to have to do not so long ago this is more early to mid uh 2010s was if you had a deadline report to file and it involved needing to be at the track you would type that up as qu quickly as you could have your bags packed before the end of the session in the minute you were done typing the thing you had to get on site and run out to your car and drive to the hotel because there, that was the best chance of you having internet access to be able to communicate to the outside world. Uh, so there's that it's just the structure that is this. It's a time warp. I always think of it, Graham in this term, and then I'm going to hand off to you to say goodbye. It's the perfect place for producers and directors who might want to do a movie or documentary involving old school motor racing because they would not have to dress it up at all. The set is waiting for you. So if you're doing some old thing about 1970s or 60s motor racing, and you can see, uh, you know, you can picture all the reporters in their sports coats and button up, you know, button down uh, shirts and whatnot um, uh, with ashtrays everywhere, every single one smoking, because apparently anything you watch like this today, everyone believes that every single human being smoked back then. So a huge smoke filled room carved out of wood and whatever else that creaks and stinks and is tiny and uncomfortable and whatever. It's perfect. I would think Mid-Ohio could make more money off of renting their media center out to Hollywood types to film their retro racing content 
than probably hosting modern motor races. So it's a turnkey movie set from 30 or 40 years ago, still in use today. Graham Goodwin, take us home. I will. Uh, Thanks, Marshall, again for your time in putting this together. Always a highlight for my week. To everybody listening in, thank you for your company and to those that submitted the questions. Once again, thanks so much for helping us to make this the show it's become. For now, though, uh, and with thanks to Cooper Tyres, to the Justice Brothers and to TorontoMotorsports.com. I'm in the UK. I'm Graham Goodwin. He's in the US. He's Marshall Pruitt. This has been the Weekend Sports Cars We'll see you next week.